Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. These are the teachings from our Sunday gatherings. We are supported by listeners like you who find value in the mission of discipleship. If you'd like to give financially, check out our website, our Instagram, or our Facebook for the giving tab. And thank you for partnering with us and keeping the mission alive. Grace and peace to you. Yeah, so we we have an interesting thing happening today where the lectionary lines up with what we are going through as a church in a really interesting way. Um, never thought this would happen. Um, but that's how the Holy Spirit works. It seems like every Sunday, every time we preach a message, somehow it's like, wow, like God's orchestrating this and doing something there. Um, but we're going to talk about church um, because the passage that we get into today is where Jesus has a conversation with Peter and he says, who do people say I am? Which we'll get to and we'll read in a second. Um, but essentially, Peter's response is, is, you're the Messiah, you're the Lord, and there's no other. Like, we're going to follow you and we're committed to what you're doing. Um, and then Jesus says, we're going to build the church on you and uses Peter as a leader, not because he's anything amazing or cool or somehow charismatic or somehow beautiful, um, but because he's willing and desiring to serve God with his entire life and understands that God is the one who is in charge. And so um, I got some big news I'm going to share with you guys at the very end of this message. But um, raise your hand if you've ever had issues with the church, okay? So let me, before you raise your hand, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, simmer, calm yourself, okay. Uh, let me give you some more reasons to raise your hand so that we make sure that everybody raises their hand here. Um, we'll just start it off on a real solid negative note. Um, Raise your hand if you've ever had conflict within church, if you've ever dealt with leadership that has done something horrific where you're like, you shake your head and you go, that is not a reflection of Jesus. Um, raise your hand if you've seen the church do things where you're just, you're embarrassed by what the church has done um, or said or preached or whatever it is. Um, yeah, so at this point, you can raise your hand. If any of those things have happened to you or you've experienced it, okay, for the sake of the podcast, everyone in the room raise their hand, and some are, like, raising both hands. Um, yeah, there's, there's plenty of that. So, some are standing up, shouting, and just leaving, and they're like, yeah, that's why I'm out of here. Um, no, that, I want to address a couple things because I recognize that when we talk about the church, it comes with tons of baggage, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Um, and if you don't know that yet, welcome. You're going to experience something eventually. Um, whether you see it on the news or you see something that happens somewhere or some Christian treats you the way that Christians shouldn't be treating people. Um, it's going to happen. And so the reason I start with that is because I want to start out with just a couple of real quick caveats and bullet points of like the church, when we talk about the church, because that's what I'm going to preach on for till 1130. Um, I'm going to show a video. I'm going to talk about some things. I'm going to share a couple of like a lot of passages actually um, that'll, that are in your notes that you can read deeper if you want to, but um, they're very, they're just simple, but they really talk about the church. And I want to give you guys an overview of church and what that looks like in scripture. But when it comes to the damage the church has done and the things that people have done, I want to say the church is filled with people, right? And so when we see those things happen and we hang our head in disgust or in sadness or in frustration, those are because people are involved and people have selfish motives. People will bring baggage to church and 
open up their baggage and unleash all that stuff for everybody else to deal with, right? And so it's messy. It's not easy. It's not, it's not a, a clean-cut thing that when you come to Christ, you're just zapped into this new way of life, and now you're suddenly just like the most loving, kind person and most generous and most considerate and all these kind of things, right? It just There's a process that happens, and because it's a process, it's messy, right? And so I just want to say right up front, um, people are capable of really brilliant, beautiful things, but also capable of really destructive things. And I've been in ministry now for 20 years, and I've seen some stuff that I, I don't want to share those stories. I don't want to talk about those things. I want to talk about what the church should be and what it looks like um, because I was deeply connected to a lot of those people that caused that failure, that destruction, and those things, and I've seen behind the scenes, and I know kind of why they did what they did. Um, and I can see it, and I understand a little bit more. Um, it's a lot harder when you see it in the news and you go, I have no context, but that's wrong, right? And so I want to kind of unpack a little bit of like what church should be, not what it shouldn't be, because I think when we talk about what it should be, we start to understand why some other things happen and why, like where we should be heading, right, and not looking back. Um, another, so the first element is the church is filled with people. That's why you see those things. Another element, the second part of that is church for a long time has emulated culture. And I think that that's a big problem when it comes to church. We are not a business, right? We are not a for-profit business that's trying to get ROI, return on investment, right? We invest and you get nothing in return. And the posture, well, you get life change, but you get nothing personally in return. It's constantly, it's a process of giving and generosity and love towards others because what you're doing is you're pushing back darkness. And so what church is doing or what it has done is it's focused on becoming like a business. And what happens is when you treat people like a business, it gets weird, right? It gets weird because then it's about what can you do for us rather than what are we doing together as a collaboration, as the body of Christ that Jesus has invited us to be a participant in, right? That like some of your feet, some of your arms, some of your nose, whatever, like we're all parts of this whole body that make this thing happen and make it move forward. And, um, but the church has forgotten that, especially in Western culture. I must say like what we're used to when we come to church. Um, it's become a business and Sadly to say, that causes a lot of damage. And so those are the two things I just want to say up front. Now let's talk about what is church. What is it? Not what isn't it, but what is it? What's the purpose of church? So that we have a good grasp on it, so that we know what's going on when it comes to being part of grace and peace. And this isn't just a grace and peace ethic. This is like Christian ethic. This is like a, a theology and understanding of how the church should be globally, what Jesus invited us into and what we see in Scripture, not what we've made it to be in our own minds, okay? Um, Old Testament, so I'm going to try and give a big kind of overview. Old Testament, the term does not exist church. You don't see that word church in the Old Testament. You see the people of God, right? Which immediately points us to like the value of what church is supposed to be, the people of God. Like, God's chosen people. When you read the Old Testament, it's the Israelites. Um, you see God's chosen people, and he says, I've set you apart. He says, I'm going to bless all nations through when we talk about Abraham and we talk about God's chosen people and what that came, where that came out of. Um, what God was doing was setting people apart to be unique 
to be different for the sake of showing people what love looks like, for the sake of showing the world and everybody else, this is how we ought to live, right? And so God's people were set apart, and they did unique things. Like, they set parts of their field aside for people that didn't have resources, right? For widows, orphans, that kind of thing. Like, they did things that were different than the normal culture. Um, And so there was... uh, a very distinct call on their lives to be different, but not in a different way just to be different, but because it was the best way to live. And so that's how you see in the Old Testament. In the New Testament is this word ecclesia, and it's in the first time you see it is in the passage we're about to read um, in Matthew chapter 16, which was in the lectionary, which is crazy to me again. Um, but this word um, in the Greek, it's kaleo, and the original part of that is um, to call. And, and the whole point of that is that it's the called out ones. That When Jesus talks about the church, when he talks about us being the church, he's like, you're going to be the called out ones. The same, so it's the same concept in the Old Testament as in the New. It's just we've kind of twisted it and made it in something different. Um, but what Jesus intended was it to continue on being the called out ones that the church was meant to be called out, different, separate from how culture does it, separate from how the world lives life, that you begin to live life in a different way. You have a different set of values, and we'll talk about that a little bit here in a second, and we'll see what those values look like. Um, But it's meant to be different. And so here's Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 20. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say uh, John the Baptist, but others, Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Like, he's like, you understand it. You get this. You're seeing it. Obviously, he didn't fully get it because he messed up later, and there's a whole redemption process in Peter's life. But he says, you're getting it, you're seeing it. And he says, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. So again, it's like recognizing there's a a spiritual element that we have to recognize. It's not just about flesh and blood. It's not about how we do things here on earth. And he says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And that's where that word ecclesia comes from, the called out ones. I'm going to use you to call everyone out. I'm going to use you to be the called, like, the one who's going to preach the message to call others out of the way that they're living into a different way. And so he goes on, he says, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone about this. Again, that is not how we do things in our culture. We're like, tell everybody, right? Um, Jesus over and over has to tell his disciples, don't tell anybody about this, okay? Like, do this in a very authentic, real way. Like, hold on. Just, that'll be the right time, right? Um, so that's, that's interesting. That's a little side note. But the called out ones is what I want to focus in on, is what Jesus calls the church to be, called out ones. And so what we see here in, in this passage is Peter understands And he's starting to understand. He's getting like the verbiage in his mind. He's like, the church is meant to be unique. And who Jesus is is a unique thing that's different than anything I've ever seen. And he understands that what 
Jesus is doing is using his life to be a blessing to others. Because what we see when you fast forward into the beginning of Acts is Peter begins to preach, and it says thousands of people start to come and hear the message and participate with what it meant to be the early church, right? If you read Acts 2, 42, they devoted themselves to prayer, to eating together, to the study of God's word, um, to serving one another. And it says that then it became this thing where like people just started adding to their number daily. It says like the church grew and grew and grew because they were, they were called out and because of what Peter was doing. So there's nothing unique about Peter other than the fact that he was willing to serve and say, yes, I'm, I'm going to be part of this. I want to I all in on this. And so Peter knew that he had an influence. He knew that he was going to do something, that God was going to use him in a powerful way. But there wasn't a sense of pride in the midst of that, right? There was surely confusion, like he denied, and he was like, I don't know what this is all about, and I'm not sure I'm fully all the way in on this. But when Jesus calls him to ministry, when he comes back in and reestates him and says, I love you, I'm going to use your life to do a beautiful thing in this, in this world, he then understood that it was about serving Jesus. It was about serving the Lord in that process. And we see the fruit as a result of what Peter did, right? It says that thousands came to know Jesus as a result of his obedience, his character development in that process. So the church grew out of someone who's obedient and saying, I just want to serve the Lord. I want to be part of that. And so the first thing I would say is like a key ingredient to being part of the church and being connected to what the church is doing is Jesus wants us to serve in this way that says, I recognize who the Messiah is. I recognize who Lord is in my life that I, I'm not dependent on anything else other than Jesus, and that is the core of everything that I do. And so, um, again, going back to the very beginning, I said, like, our culture has twisted church into this thing where it's like a business and where it's become this thing where it's entertaining and where it's, um, it's so centered around pleasing people, winning people to entertainment, to a certain kind of culture um, that it misses what it's meant to do. And it's meant to point people to Jesus and disciple people to Jesus. And, and I think as we start to unpack this and as we look into this next passage, um, we have a lot to learn from Scripture when it's about what church is purposed for. And, and if we understand that, that's going to shape how we interact with church, how we do church, how we gather um, and it will impact everything that we do. And so um, I want to read this passage, and then I'm going to draw some pictures up here, okay? You guys cool with that? Um, Isaiah 49, 5 through 9. And it says, now the Lord, this is the Old Testament. This is, again, like getting the idea of like what God is trying to do, what his purpose is in the church, and what he's trying to do through his people. It says, now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant. Uh, hold on, let me give you some context really quick before we start reading this. This is Isaiah, who is a prophet, who is speaking to God's set-apart people, the called-out ones, to the church. And basically, they had been taken into captivity by Babylon. And Babylon, in Scripture, we see is trying to just pull away their identity and their culture of like serving God and only God. Babylon just went nuts. They were like, we can serve whatever God we want. We do whatever we want. And there was an influence there, like an evil influence. 
And so what Isaiah is doing is calling people back and speaking on behalf, of, on behalf of God and saying, this is the heart of God. This is where God wants us to go. You've been distracted with other things, and so you could fill that with anything. Babylon is like a modern day, like, if you get distracted with like, I don't know, just thinking that money is going to somehow make us happy, that's Babylon, right? Like, we can overly simplify this, but really there's a lot of things that will pull us away from the Lord. And so what he does is he's drawing them back and saying, this is what God is all about. So check this out. So now the Lord says, he who formed me in, in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel him, to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept because they've been in captivity, right? To bring them back. He says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. So he's like, you're going to be a light in the midst of the darkness. That my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So God's heart, even in the Old Testament, has always been, I want to, I want to use you to be a light to these people. To show them, like, in the midst of a dark place where it can be confusing, frustrating, where you don't know which way is up or down, I want to be a light. I want to direct them and show them how to live life the best possible way. And he says, uh, to those I have kept, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. This, uh, this is what the Lord says. The Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Here's where it gets crazy. Watch this. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and reassign its desolate inheritances to say to the captives, come out and to those in darkness, be free. God's heart was to set people free, right? Like that's like the, the beautiful message that we see in the Old Testament that sometimes we don't see because we get so caught up in all the other things is God's heart was to set the people free. And his heart was to use the church, to use his people to be an example of what freedom looks like. And so a key ingredient of that is we have to live free. We have to be people who are free because if we're still chained up to the things of this world, if we're still distracted by all these other things, we are not free and there's nothing enticing about that. But if we are free, which I know many of you have had conversations where you talk about the freedom in your life that you've found in Jesus. Sorry, I'm spitting because I'm so excited. Um, that that freedom is a witness to what people experience, right? I stand here talking about this because someone demonstrated, demonstrated that freedom in their life. That they lived this life with Jesus where I was like, there's something different about you. Why do you have so much joy? in the midst of challenges in life? Why are you so content in the midst of things that you should be freaking out about? And they're like, because I love the Lord. And I was like, I want that. I want to be part of that. Like, what is that? Tell me more about that. And I started reading the Bible and I started like being around people that, that live that kind of life. That's the church. That's what the invitation is. And that's what it's meant to be. And so um, 
when, when you read in the Old Testament, you see it's about freedom. And what Jesus is about is the same exact thing. Like the, the last song we sang was, uh, what was it? Death is no longer, uh, death is dead, right? Death is dead. We no longer have to fear even death. Like that's the worst thing that most of us will fear, right? We no longer have to fear that. And so the illustration that I give you to kind of like really see like what, what God is trying to do, not only in the Old Testament we see in Jesus and what he does with his disciples and what Peter understood was the church was designed to be a certain way. Um, it, it was meant to have a certain purpose. And it's crazy because when I started studying this, I was trying to find a notebook to put notes into my um, my sermon here. And when I opened up my notebook from like, whatever, eight years ago before we planted uh, GP, there was this image. I don't know if you guys can see it. I'm going to draw it right now. But this is where it opened up to. And I was like, the timing? Holy Spirit, what's going on here? But essentially, uh, this, this kind of teaching that I sat under um, had a, a vision of the church. And the church building being like this. And it was filled with a posture, because these are two different postures that we can have when it comes to church. We can be about a church building, or we can be about a movement. And the church building, before we draw the next part of it, says it's all about the building, right? It says it's all about one hour on Sunday morning, um, it says it's all about budgets. Um, it's all about ROI, as I mentioned. Um, it's all about how beautiful is the building. Sorry, I'm writing really fast. Um, this, the focus is on leaders doing the ministry, and that's a, there's a term called 80-20. Maybe you've heard of that, where... 80% of the people attend while 20% of the people do the ministry. Um, so the, the perspective is that the leadership up front do everything and that everything takes place looking at leaders doing things rather than it being what I'm about to draw next. A movement says that the church looks like this. And the movement says we care more about being salt and light, which when you read the New Testament, you hear what Jesus says over and over. He's like, it's about loving people. It's about being salt and light in the world, like giving flavor, giving meaning, purpose to what's going on in the world. And so we go and we begin to do that. And when the church emphasizes being a loving community, being participants when it comes to serving, that everyone is a participant. Um, it becomes a movement, and it begins to move into the community, and it's not just one hour on a Sunday morning. It's all of life. The church, when you talk about the body of Christ, when we talk about the called out ones, when we talk about us being that, it becomes how can we serve, how can we participate, how can we begin to be part of this movement rather than it being one hour on a Sunday morning with a building that entertains in a certain way, that requires a certain amount of budget, that requires a certain amount of 
I don't know, leaders to do certain things, to entertain, to keep things moving, it's now shifted to a movement that then becomes something that transforms the world. And that's what the early church was doing. They didn't have buildings. They met wherever they could. They met in homes. They met in synagogues. They met wherever they could find a spot. They met together. They shared meals together. They had communion together. And they emphasized this, what I'll just call, like to overly simplify again, is like a 24-7 faith. It was just like, we are the church. It's not when we get together. We're always the church. It never shuts down. It doesn't have an opening time or closing time. That's just when we gather. But it ends up being this constant focus on Jesus, serving Jesus and being on purpose. Another way of seeing this and another way of viewing church is for a long time people have seen church as a place where you go to believe certain things, right? Where a pastor like me or somebody else teaches the Bible, you believe certain things, you learn about Jesus, you believe it, then you begin to behave a certain way, and then you belong to that church and you become a member of it and you connect to it or whatever. I want to flip that on its head. What I've discovered is powerful and what I think people truly desire is to know that they belong, that they're loved, that they're cared for. Then they begin to see the value of behaving a certain way, right? So if it's I got to give up certain things in my life, I can't beat my wife anymore, like those kind of things have to go. I'm just kidding. I never did that. Um, just for the record, um, you have to behave a certain way. You give those things up. Sorry to distract you. Um, that then you begin to believe a certain thing because you see that that life is so good. That treating people a certain way is so much better, right? And so it starts with belonging. And what happens here is people have to believe something first. They have to come and be part of your program versus here you go and you love people and you love them regardless of what they believe. They could believe all kinds of crazy stuff, and we all did before we came to know Jesus. And maybe you're sitting here, and maybe you're like, I don't fully believe yet. I'm not sure. But when we begin to live as Christ did, where we love people, and we engage in the loving kind of communal way, in a 24-7 kind of way, that doesn't say it's just on a Sunday morning, it begins to become real, and it begins to become something that I think Scripture is calling us to and not the business world. And so I hope that kind of gives a visual of like the kind of church that we want to be and where we want to head. And so I want to go over just a couple of really quick bullet points that um, comes from a book that I read and a study that we did a long time ago with this guy, Scott Daniels, who is now our general superintendent. So the Nazarene Church has pastors who pastor over the pastors. And these guys, basically, they're in charge of kind of like decisions that happen globally and how we move as a church. And so this guy I've known ever since, um, actually, his son led worship for us a long time ago, Noah Daniels. And, um, but I had him as a professor a long time ago. And so I've known him for a long time, not super well, but enough to where like I, if he walked in, I'd be like, hey, what's going on? Um, but this guy is brilliant when it comes to understanding what scripture says about what the church should be doing. And the bullet points that he lays out, I think are brilliant. I'm going to breeze through them because it's very factual, but you'll probably see it and go, 
Yeah, good point. So the first thing that he says when he talks about church and what it should look like is it has to embody the word. So the very first thing is we can't just go to church. We have to be the church. That's what I've been hitting on already. Like, we have to embody what it means to be loving, right? Like, you can say we love you and everything, but if, like, the, out of the other side of your mouth, you're like, dude, I don't like you. You're a jerk. You're different than me. Then it's not loving, right? So we have to, we can't just go to church. We got to be the church. We got to be involved in what's happening. And, um, and I believe that that's how Jesus reveals himself is through us and through the Holy Spirit working through us. And so it's not about us. Again, just like Peter, it's not about us, but it's how God works through us. Um, and what he says is God's great evangelistic strategy, maybe especially in a culture that is like could care less about church and is caring less about church. I don't know if you guys have noticed that yet. Um, churches are shrinking and the culture wants less to do with institutionalized church. Um, but it's for people to look at and say, whatever that is, I want more of that. That's what I hit on earlier is like why I'm standing here is because what a family lived in Jesus, I saw and said, I want more of that. And so when we embody it, when you embody it in your neighborhood, in your home, in your whatever it is, people will see it. They're watching. And they're like, yeah, the Christians, they live a certain way. There's something different about them. And there's something really beautiful that it's making me ask questions. I want, I want to be part of that. So embodied word. The second part is an open table. This is why we have Fifth Sundays, um, to model what it looks like during the week, 24-7 kind of people that are on movement that are saying we value having open space at our table. Um, the broken body and shed uh, blood is for people from different generations, ethnicities, cultures, tastes, political perspectives, social standings, all of it. Um, there needs to be a space at the table. And there's always more space at the table when we're constantly recognizing the Jesus of the center, right? Um, that we have more room. There's empty chairs in here. Hopefully in our homes, there's space that if someone says, hey, I got nowhere to be tonight for whatever, football game, whatever, like the sky's the limit. You say, come on over. Thanksgiving, Christmas, whatever. That you have space that you say, come on over. There's always an extra seat at the table. And that's not just on holidays or those kind of things, but even during the week, you know, at your job. Come have lunch with me. I recognize that you're eating your lunch by yourself, whatever, in your car. Come join me. <laughs> Let's go hang out. Having that perspective and that mindset of an open table, I think, is, is key. And the third one, he says, is clean hearts. And this hits on a topic that we don't want to talk about, but holiness. That when you begin to prioritize serving God and being so caught up in what God's doing, um, that transforms your life. And that becomes what we would say worship, not just singing songs, but worship to God. Because then I'm prioritizing the fact that my holiness is going to impact someone else. That if I, if I don't have my, I don't know, my, my words under self-control, and you cut me off on the freeway, that's not a good reflection, right? So holiness is not just for the sake of you looking great, or me looking great, it's meant for others, right? I know that's weird. I know that's like, it, you can't twist that either. You can't just try to be holy to look good in front of others because that gets weird because then you're doing it to please others. But holiness between you and God, just longing to serve him and say, you know what? Yeah, I do need to have control over what I say. 
because that hurts people. And I know that's not the heart of God. So I need to have self-control. So I need to work on my self-control. Lord, give me self-control so I don't have outbursts of anger towards my children or people, right? That's what I'm working on. Like, my kids frustrate me sometimes. Like, oh, what are you? (sighs) Calm down, calm down. You know, like you're trying to be a witness here, (laughs) even to your own children, even to your own family. Um, Again, we're all broken and we're like in that process and that journey. But we have to recognize that clean hearts is a huge part of that. Um, It's not just about getting to heaven, like it says on there. It's about a process of creating heaven here on earth, beginning to live that out. And then dirty hands. Um, It's not enough to worship. It's not enough to be holy. It's not enough just to be a good person. Uh, But we need to participate in the transformation of creation. Um, New people are not just going to walk into the church doors. Um, they're not just going to walk in here because it's a cool organization. Um, People will engage with who we are as a church because of the way that you live. Um, And that requires you getting into people's lives. It's going to get messy. It's part of it. People will probably cuss at you, be angry at you, probably be frustrated. But um, there's there's a call to go and serve Um, we love because we've been loved by God, not because of anything else, not because it makes us look good, because we're so, I don't know, um, kind, generous people um, or philanthropic with how we live. It's because we love because God loves us, loves us so deeply that we share that with others. I want to close with um, a video from Francis Chan, because he says what I wanted to say beautifully, and he surfs as well, and he understands this illustration. I think this illustration brings together what we talk about when we talk about being the church and how our posture should be. So check out the surfing illustration that he uses that I think is on point, and then we're going to close in prayer. sharing with some guys uh, earlier today just how okay like I heard I love surfing and uh, I heard that there's a place to surf in Waco and so I went on the internet because I had someone told me there was a wave pool in Waco so I looked it up and watched a video this morning I thought that's kind of cool you know because what's cool about it is when you have those man-made waves, it always breaks in the same place. You know, normally you're swimming out in the ocean. You don't know where the wave's going to come, when it's going to come, how big it's going to be, what's going to bite your face off. You don't know any of that. And I thought, it'd be nice to just go in a wave pool and go to the exact spot where the machine makes the wave every single time and you can wave, you know, just ride the exact shape wave over and over and over again. I go, that looks kind of fun um but I would get bored of that after a while and but as I was watching that wave I thought you know what that's what we do in our church gathering sometimes we just know how to create a wave we know when it's going to begin at 9 a.m we know just at the height at 9 21 and then we know it's going to close off at you, you know in these different places and then we'll do it again at, and 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 it's just this we can manufacture so much and be satisfied with it 
I've done that a lot of my life because there's something about that where if I go to that wave pool in Waco, I won't, I, I know it's not gonna be horrible. There'll always be something. Whereas there have been times I paddle out in the ocean hearing there's gonna be a swell and you're sitting there. Lord, please, please, just one. God, please, come on, Lord. Oh, gosh. I, I prayed this morning. I did my devotions. I witnessed to the guy on the way here. You know, like, can I just have a wave? You know, like, it's, it's, that's what you do sometimes. And it's like nothing happened. But you never have that problem in Waco. It's always going to show up. It's always going to be the same thing. And I just, I just feel like there's like this safety in some of our fleshly confidence to create something. And for many people, that's enough. And as long as that's enough for us, God's not going to give us more. And as long as we play it safe and use our human wisdom and eloquence to create some sort of wave that's manufactured by us, and as long as I'm happy with it, you're happy with it, God's like, all right, fine. That's all you'll get then. And that, when I saw that, I was like, that's, that's the kind of church, kind of community, called out ones that I want to be and that I want to be a part of, um, because I believe that, yeah, you can manufacture all that stuff, and, and I'm not bashing mega churches that have that. It's great. I've gone many times and loved it, and like the fog machine and the whole thing, it's just like, it's so emotional, like... Again, I'm not making fun of it because I've been in there and I've loved it and I've been like, this is such a beautiful time of worship. But what I want to point out and what I think he does brilliantly in that illustration is see a hunger for God that says it doesn't matter. Like, I, I really, I don't want to manufacture some kind of fake religious encounter. Like, I want to actually know God and have a relationship with him and it be part of a movement, not just a building, a Sunday morning that's got to get more budget, more bums on seats, you know, like, I just don't think that that's what God wants. I think what God wants is, like, our hearts transformed, and then us going out and loving people, and, um, and so that's my prayer, and I want to read this prayer that comes from that same book from Scott Daniels that articulates it very simply in three lines, but the kind of prayer that I would hope that we would pray as families, as couples, as individuals, as life groups um, or Lectio groups um, and, and make this a priority. So here it goes. Dear God, help our uniqueness look like unconditional love, a commitment to peacemaking, a bent towards forgiveness and reconciliation, a concern for justice and mercy, and a hunger after the things of God and lives that seek first the kingdom. That's it. That's, that's the heartbeat, the prayer of what I think a church that's on movement wants. And so I threw that in our notes so we can read it this week and you can talk about it, um, wrestle with it. I threw extra questions in there to talk about what does it look like to be the church. So if you want to talk about those questions, um, wrestle through them yourself or in the Lectio group, I'm going to do that. We're going to talk about it when we have our Lectio lunch. Um, what does it look like to be that kind of church that isn't trying to manufacture God stuff, but really engaging with what God's doing 24-7 throughout the week, wherever God sends us? And so let me pray, and uh, may we be sent out. 
Lord, we love you. We're so grateful for um, the call that you place on our lives to be on mission, to be part of this movement of setting others free, that we don't do that, but your Holy Spirit does it. You do it, Jesus. Your love just, it saturates our lives and it works through us in ways that sometimes I'm not even aware of. And so, Lord, I pray that you would go before us as we go out and we're sent into this week, that we don't just casually walk into this week, but we know that there's opportunities where you want to work through us, where we might have to get our hands dirty, where you might use us in some beautiful, creative, powerful, crazy way. I don't know what that looks like, but we just we want to be available to be the church, to be the called out ones, to be a reflection of you, to be your hands and feet, Lord. So guide us and lead us, and we pray this in your name. Amen. So I told you guys at the very beginning, we got some news that I want to share with you because I want you guys to be part of this, and the craziness of the timing of all this is wild. But um, we got news last Sunday after church that October 15th will be our last Sunday in this building. Um, They found somebody else to rent the space that was willing to pay more, and so we are moving on to the next space. And so I want to invite you guys to be praying for that um, because that's crazy, the unknown, that's, that's not easy. Um, but again, it's a place of being faithful and um, just trusting God again, getting that place where it's about a movement, not a building. It's never been about this building. We've been in three different buildings, so that's okay. We're, we're not married to a building ever. Um, but pray for that next phase and what that looks like, that next season. And also, if you have connections, if you know people that are like, hey, I got this kind of building that looks just like this that could house us all and we could fit in there, then let me know. Come talk to me or Carissa or Paul or whoever, um, and we'll chat about it. But um, keep it in prayer, and uh, we'll see where God leads and provides, right? So amen. All right. Uh, Rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. Share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of each day. Amen? Amen.